0: And welcome to this very first episode of the Emojo podcast, where we'll be discussing Black Lives Matter and its impact on the McGill community and of Sub-Saharan Africa. Our guest for today is Aisha Manet, who is the current president of the McGill African Student Society, also known as MASP. Welcome, Aisha. And Aisha will enlighten us on the Takes James McGill Down movement on campus and its relevance with regards to BLM. Luckily, we'll start with a little bit of background that will be provided by Emily on the Roads Must Fall movement in South Africa.
1: Yeah. So, Hi, everyone. Um, so just to give you like more intel on the Roads Must Fall campaign, it started in uh, 2015 and it only lasted a month. So it was a student led campaign in Cape Town to take down the road statue in their university. Um, And Cecil Rhodes was a colonizer that subjected African people to a lot of senseless violence and proudly prone white supremacy. And his statue was like at the center of the campus uh, of the University of Cape Town. So the students decided that it was time to remove it uh, because it really became a symbol of the white supremacy ideology and uh, down. Uh, And so they decided to bring their fight to social media and started the hashtag RMF on Twitter. And as I told you, in less than a month, the statue was brought down because the movement really became super important on social media and the university couldn't do anything um, against the the student campaign. So maybe we can link this battle of removing a statue on campus to the Take James McGill Down uh, campaign. Maybe Aisha, you can tell us a bit more about yeah. this campaign.
2: So the Take James McGill Down campaign started um, this past summer, so it'd be summer 2019. And it was started by a group of students actually who decided that, um, I guess, there's no reason why we should have a statue of a slave owner on campus. So the campaign basically calls for three main things, which would be to take the statue of James McGill Down, um, the creation of a Black or Africana studies, and the creation of resources, um, based on Office for Social Equity for Black students at McGill. Um, and then, yeah, so it was basically pushed by a group of students and then our student organizations um, co-signed it and supported it. And we held a little protest on campus in August, um, which was just to ask the university to take the statute down as well as to create these resources for Black students and just continue this fight towards anti-Black racism um, and just, I guess, kind of like denounce McGill's covert anti-blackness that's happening on campus. Um, And yeah, so that was the whole movement of the campaign.
0: Thank you very much for providing us with some fruitful insights on what has been happening on campus with regards to the BLM movement. So if you didn't know, now you know. Um, The first question I would like to ask you is, how symbolic can a statue really be?
2: um i feel like statues are quite symbolic they're very symbolic because it's literally placing um somebody on a pedestal right you're creating this larger than life figure of somebody who i feel like the intention is to like honor the person and respect the person the statue is created of so when we have these statues of people who have done pretty horrible things it's like okay so is this what we're supposed to be honoring is this what our values represent what we uphold in society so i think that it's like really important to like I guess just make sure that we're making statues of people who actually deserve to be honored and respected like that and not people who have committed such like heinous crimes and such who have done such horrible things to other like large groups of people you know
0: Mm -hmm. Um, recently the famous francophone author Alain Mabancou has expressed that removing a statue takes away part of the history of a country He took the example of colonial statues in newly independent countries and explained that the removal contributes to the erasure of the physical aspect of colonialism, which is inherently a huge portion of today's African society's history. Um, What do you think of this?
2: I think that's a fair point in that it's important to remember history and it's important to understand what happened. But I don't think we need a statue to do that, because when I see a statue, it's like, oh, wow, this person must have been great. You know, like, this is huge. I should honor and respect this person. And now if you're putting me in front of a statue of James McGill or Cecil Rose, I'm like, I don't want to honor or respect this person. You know, so I think um, there are different ways to honor, to to remember our history and to make note of these things we can their books museums so many different ways to do that that you don't need like these big statues in public places where people can like I guess are always reminded also of that because it's I feel like some of these things like when you're affected by them you don't want to see that reminder every time like I don't want to walk through the um, Gates on McGill and every time I walk in the class it's like oh there's James McGill you know so I think there are other ways that we can commemorate history and, re- and understand what happened and just keep records of things that it doesn't have to be a statue.
0: <laughs> there are certainly more efficient ways to commemorate history that's for sure um, and that brings me to my next question why do you think the James McGill statue is still up? Um,
2: I actually wonder this a lot and I feel like part of it is that I understand that he did contribute a lot to the university in terms of like financially contributing and providing the land to have like the institution on. So I think part of it, part of the reason the statue is still up is because of that. But that's enough of a reason because everything that he did to acquire this land and to acquire this money was through dehumanizing other people, whether it be black people or indigenous people. So I think part of the reason the statue is still there is just because I guess they want to honor him for (laughs) providing the space for McGill or stealing the space and then providing it for it to be McGill. And I also feel like part of it is also because you don't want to upset, they don't want to upset too many people by removing the statue i think that removing the statue is going to cause a lot of backlash from other people who the university may value and i feel like they're trying to avoid that and trying to come to a solution that i guess could appease multiple people um but yeah i think i guess that's why the statue is still up
1: yeah that's a very good point and also like knowing that it took McGill decades to actually recognize that James McGill was a slave owner. So they're like, they are like presenting themselves as very anti-racist, as a very anti-racist institution, uh, but do not want to actually, you know, look back to their history and their history of creation or just like James McGill's past. So mm-hmm. taking the statue down would be like a step even further in their recognition of their colonial past that they do not um, yeah, they just don't want to recognize it, yeah. I think.
2: Exactly. Um, I think that's definitely it. Because I remember, like, even just coming to McGill, like, I I personally didn't even know that James McGill was a slave owner. I didn't know this university was named after someone. And, like, to this day, like last time I checked a couple, maybe like two or so months ago, like there was nothing on the website either about who James McGill was, you know, it wasn't until like the Black Lives Matter movement started that I saw that they put up a little blurb, like James McGill <laughs> who traded slaves. And it's like, you have to click on so many different pages, like on the history page of the website, there's nothing there, you know. So I think, yeah, definitely, like you said, they, it means like actually coming to terms with the fact that their their university is built on racism.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I do have a question that's kind of linked with um, like maybe that can be a reason why the statue is still up. Um, that's about activism today. And how much do you think can be achieved through social media with the Black Lives Matter movement? Uh, this summer, there were a lot of people that, uh, you know, started being really like engaged and um, active in different social struggles. Uh, but there were, like, so many things going on and happening this summer and so many things to think about that um, do you think maybe it was easier for the Roads Must Fall campaign to work uh, back in 2015 uh, when they were known, like, the society was not as revolutionary as it is today? Um, that's a good question. I
2: actually think that social media has definitely created, like, a huge has definitely helped the movement become like so much bigger than it is is. I'm not that it is but has helped it become so much bigger and has helped it like reach so many more people so i think it's really valuable in that sense and that it's allowing so many more people to be aware of what's happening because i think without social media there's a lot of issues of like silencing right so we won't see these things on the news um and we won't see them on like mainstream newspapers articles things like that um but I think it also creates like this false sense of activism. So people will think, oh, I posted something on my story. I'm for the cause. I'm helping. I'm making a difference, you know? And it's like, OK, cool. <laughs> There's only so far awareness can go, though. You know, like you have to actually take real action. And posting a story is not it's it's great, but it's not actual. It's not real action. Um, so I think that's kind of the difference between that and like the roads must fall and why I guess it was a little bit it was more successful in that sense, because I guess social media wasn't as huge back then or a few years ago. So it was people were, I guess, taking more action like seriously and they were actually doing things more as opposed to sitting behind a phone and like reposting a black square or like posting something on your story. So I think maybe that's like the difference in the disconnect now.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, well, I have a bigger, like broader question. We kind of like touched upon it already a little, but we thought it would be interesting to, you know, compare the Rhodes Must campaign with the Take James McGill Down campaign, uh, because, like, in a way, they're like, pretty much the same battles. Uh, but what do you think, like, are they for you exactly the same battles? Like is the context uh, different or like, what do you think, are, are they really similar battles or are they pretty different?
2: Um. I think they're kind of similar. I think their magnitude, I would say is a little bit different, and their effect, I want to say is a little bit different because when I think of the Rose Must I think of Cecil Rhodes. It just it feels so daunting. Like just think about everything that Cecil Rhodes has done and like the division that it's created in Southern Africa and like the way that people are like still facing those repercussions right and still like feeling what it was like when Cecil Rhodes was there when Rhodesia was a thing and things like that i think the magnitude of the two movements is a little bit different and that is a little bit different in that sense um not to like downplay James McGill or like the movement down but i just feel like it's a little bit more niche in the sense that take James McGill down is really specific to like the McGill community the McGill university and like montreal area and things like that whereas with the Rhodes- I think he just permeated so many more different like societies and countries and people those Cecil Rhodes affected a lot more people and had a like a wider like had a wider case of just making people's lives horrible, I guess.
0: That got me thinking of a question. Do you think the movement would have been more effective in the sense of practically responding to the demands of the students? If every single Montreal University student had come together and created a united front with regards to the conversation BLM on campuses,
2: yeah, I think so. I think if there was a lot more like, I guess, backlash and a lot more people supporting the movement and like making like making their voices heard in terms of like we need to take James McGill down and like meet the rest of the demands, and I think there would be the administration would have more of a response. Because when I think of it, it's like, it's, I guess, Black students on campus and like our allies and such who are really pushing for this, you know? There is not that, it's not that big of a story. There aren't that many people who like are invested in this or aren't that many people who I guess are affected or Mm -hmm. who are making known that they're affected by it. So I think for the administration, it's kind of like, oh, this is just a small group of people who are upset by this and it's not going to affect them as that much. you know It's like okay, you're uh, you're I guess not meeting the needs of like certain students but in the grand scheme of things I don't think that they're being that affected by our desires want to take the statute down so they're not taking it as seriously.
0: <laughs> that is definitely your point. Um, there's one additional question um, with regards to how international, BLM truly is. Do Black Lives Matter in Africa?
2: I think Black Lives Matter as a movement itself is not as international as we'd like it to be. Everywhere, you know, and it's like different degrees. I mean, not different degrees, but I think it's just different scenarios. Depending on where you are, because when I think of like Black Lives Matter in African countries, I'm thinking of like the Nsars movement. I'm thinking of like what's happening in Uganda, what's happening in the Democratic Republic of Congo. You know, I think there's so many different things that are happening. It's not just police brutality. Um, there's people, Black people are being exploited, are being treated as slaves again in some of these countries. You know, so I think that there's just so many different like facets to the Black Lives Matter movement, and Mm -hmm. that they're not always all accounted for or always paid attention to. Um, I think that over the past few months, though, I have realized that like, there's been a lot more attention to Black Lives Matter and to Black Lives in other countries as opposed to just the USA. And I think part of that is because of social media, because we're able to share what's happening in all these countries with each other. People are aware like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is bad, you know, like we need to be able to do something. So I think it's becoming a little bit more international in that sense. And they're starting to, Black Lives starting to matter in more countries. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think we're all the way there yet.
0: These are incredible points that you've just raised. I think it brings us back to the issue at stake, which is that human rights are, on a daily basis, being violated. It's not BLM is not just about um, black people being angry about how the society treats them in general. Um, rather, it is about an obvious disrespect of human rights, and everyone watches that on TV. Um, Super interesting conversation. I'll let Emily close up.
1: Yeah. So uh, thank you, Aisha, for uh, participating in our podcast. Um, And if you want to know more about the Take Gems McGill Down campaign, just go to the Facebook page. Uh, There's a statement there also addressing uh, responding to uh, the McGill uh, anti-blackness struggle plan. So you'll be able to find more information. Uh, And that's it for this week. Thank you guys for having me. (laughs) Thank you.